Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 211, episode 5 of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist, the production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it is Friday, November 19th, 2021. Sure, it's the 158th anniversary of the Gettysburg Address or whatever, but more importantly, it's National Carbonated Beverage with With Caffeine caffeine Day. Day. A.K.A. Baja Black Day. <laughs> A.K.A. Red Bull. <laughs> Pororoso, as do they the say. Do the do. Well, my name is Jack O'Brien, A.K.A. May, Mayo, Mayo Chup, and I want to throw up. Uh, that is courtesy of Ensign Jensen. Not necessarily true of me. I don't mind a little Mayo Chup, but... My wife, not a fan. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Yes, it's Graberham Lincoln letting you know that four blunts and seven edibles ago, <laughs> I was smacked playing PlayStation 5. Okay. That's Damn, you were already right smacked, now. and then you did four blunts and yeah, how good. many edibles? Seven. Four Man. blunts and seven edibles ago. Yes, All right. it was uh-huh. a challenging time. You know, Just to Ellen- get yourself right. Yeah, having Ellen Scanlon come on uh, last week. Yeah, that was last week, right? Just kind of got my mind going again around edibles and my endocannabinoid mm-hmm. system. And endocannabinoid. I was just like, I was getting really into it. Then this article came out today saying like, cannabis-like compounds are released when you do strength exercising, like anti-inflammatory properties. It's just basically, the, the gist of it was like, lifting weights periodically for your health is good for you. But yeah, like, way to bring weed in. And we'll talk about those science headlines. Too, yeah, so. everybody's trying to get on that weed train. They're like, math is like smoking weed. <laughs> Doing math. <laughs> but with numbers. Cool. <laughs> well, Miles, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a brilliant and talented writer whose work has appeared in Playboy 538, The yep. Hollywood Reporter, and on the Part Blacklist blog. Uh, you've heard her on podcasts like How Did This Get Made? Yep. Seen her in the documentary The Last Blockbuster. Yep. She's the director of community relations for The Blacklist, which oh. celebrates outstanding and underappreciated screenwriting and is just an all-around legend, mate. Please welcome <laughs> Kate Hagen! What's up, Kate? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. Uh, excited yeah. to join the two-time Daily Zeitgeist Club. That's pretty yeah, exciting. Yeah. Three times Huge. you get that that green paperweight. Oh, very <laughs> yeah, exciting. Yeah. I was just trying to look up my tweet I was going to reference because it's weed-related, and I thought it was a nice dovetail which w- with what y'all were talking about with edibles. And now oh, I can't okay. find the tweet again. Well, um, you, you, you hold on to that. For you the have end. a whole show yeah. to figure yeah. it out. Don't <laughs> panic search while we're talking. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Totally, totally. What's new with you, Kate? Hanging out, you know, a year plus into COVID. uh, I just moved, which is very exciting. I had been in the same place for nine years, and it was nice to get a little change of scenery, go through all my shit and start again. But yeah, moving is not very fun. Who knew? What (laughs) region of the city were you in and which region did you move to? I just moved. as specific as you'd like. In LA, I moved from like East Hollywood to like Hancock Park area and found oh, a, mir- a miracle of an apartment. Yeah, I was like, hey. fully, I was fully ready to move to like North Hollywood, but I got really lucky. Check Zillow at midnight, guys. That's my advice. That's <laughs> and, and Kate, I'm sure you didn't say North Hollywood like that. Like it's a bad place to be, my ancestral homeland. It's not. But, you know, it's, it's a fantastic gladly, place. Listen, there was <laughs> I almost had moved to North Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I don't love driving on highways here so like anything oh, sure. valley then like 
you are dedicated to highways. Yeah. So I was happy to not have to go make that change in my life. Right. But no, I go to North Hollywood all the time. I have a bunch of friends who live oh, up yeah? there. Yeah. Oh, you like North Hollywood? Name everything in North Hollywood. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. Exactly. <laughs> Pitfire Pizza. Okay. Oh, shit. Lankershim right there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, my favorite video store used to be in North Hollywood, but they... Uh, Odyssey? I did love Odyssey. I have a bunch of VHS tapes from when Odyssey closed, but right down the street from them, Eddie Brand Saturday matinee that had oh, like... Oh, yeah. yeah. Legendary, yeah. That place is wild. I don't and know like, why I said that. I grew up like a block from Odyssey, like as a kid, and I'd always be like, man, if shit's not a blockbuster, we go to Janky Odyssey where the porno is in the front half of the <laughs> store and you <laughs> get to walk by it as a kid. Wow. Yeah. When they were going out of business, <laughs> their whole back room was just like thousands of pornos on VHS. Yeah. <laughs> I it was, was like, wow. Yeah, I, I bought my first porno tape at Odyssey Video like when I was like 17 or something, like just at the age where they're like, man, I don't, you're probably 18. Fine. Yeah. It's fine. And I yeah. remember being in there and I was like, it was like fucking Cheesecake Factory menu. I was like, I don't even know where to fucking begin. <laughs> I like almost, I'm not joking, like I just closed my eyes and like waved my hand at this show. I was like, this one. Uh, <laughs> I will take these, sir. Shout out That's to a, Gage. That's a real generational defining line. Like, have you ever watched porn on a VHS tape? Or Did any you buy kind of porno? Yeah. Physical yeah. media. Yeah. Have you ever paid? <laughs> yeah. Paid for, actual yeah. American money. There's, yeah, because everything these kids don't know, they can get their weed delivered. They don't have to go to a Rite Aid parking lot like I yeah. used to post up at and just wait for me to flash my hazards. Or now they can summon pornography on their cell phones rather than waiting like four hours for a two megabyte MPEG video to download. <laughs> mm hmm. Oh. Ugh, a different time. Uh, yeah. We do it for y'all. We do it for you, the youth. Kate, is there like seasonality with the blacklist? Like, do you guys have the blacklist coming up? We do. We will have the annual blacklist coming up in December. Damn. I cannot spoil the date yet, but it sure. is coming soon. And I believe this is going to be, if my math is right, number 17, which is really Damn. almost of legal voting age, the blacklist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could buy a porno at Odyssey. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. Hey, they did have that popcorn machine though. That before, like health code laws, you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure this place, right? But this pop, <laughs> serve yourself popcorn machine by the adult video sections, bare handing it. Yeah, oh yeah. I feel like the person behind the de behind the uh, desk at the video store was probably like, look, man. Like, I just want you to shave off that mustache that you've been growing. Right. Like, so I'm going to let you do this. But just you have to promise me to go home and shave that shit. He's like, look, man, if you shave it, come back in. I'll remember you and I'll sell it to you then. Oh, man. I still remember my first mustache. It was that thing was Don't look at great. my mustache and say, I remember my first mustache. Come What's on, that? man. I, you're looking straight I'm at my looking at, no, said, I remember not. my first mustache. Miles, my eyes fogged over as I said, ah, I remember <laughs> my first mustache. And I looked wistfully up at the clouds. You warged back into time yeah. and embodied them. <laughs> but we are both mustachioed men right now. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm sure people can hear it in our voice, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Kate, is it like tax season for an accountant? Is it like that wild or are y'all pretty like locked in on your Oh, and also process. please let, for people who don't know the, about the blacklist, please tell them about the blacklist because that's a very oh, yeah, like, that's insular, a like Hollywood thing. 
Yeah. yeah. It started in 2005 by my boss, Franklin Leonard, yeah, as yeah. an annual survey of the most liked screenplays in town. The number two and the number three scripts on the first blacklist were Juno and Lars and the Real Girl. So that was like kind of the launching pad for writers. Yeah. And over the years, it's just become a really great sort of collection at the end of the year of really great screenplays that are not being produced. Tons of writers have come through something like, you know, 25 Oscar wins for blacklist scripts, uh, a couple billion dollars dollars in global box office, which is pretty cool. But we also have a two-sided marketplace that anybody anywhere in the world with an English language screenplay or pilot can upload a script and make it available to thousands of industry members. And we've had countless writers get signed, you know, set their scripts up, get movies made, make other sort of official industry connections that have, have been a springboard. And we take very little credit for that stuff. You know, it, we're just sort of the conduit for those conversations to happen. Right. But it's really cool. I mean, you know, we also do some really hefty screenwriters lab programs. My colleague Megan Halpern does a lot of those, but that's one of the best parts of the job is like seeing folks who did the screenwriters lab five or six years ago, like book huge studio gigs and things like that. Yeah. We just, you know, I think Franklin realized early on in his tenure in the industry that like writers are very overlooked by the business. And, you know, it's the first person who has the idea most of the time to make the movie and, you know, needed a sense of community. A lot of times we would do like dinners with screenwriters a couple of years ago and it would be shocking. Like, oh, I rewrote one of your drafts and we've never met in person. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's been really cool to watch that sort of community develop. I've been working there since 2014 somehow. Oh, and we have hey. grown a lot in that time. But yeah, going to hang out with writers and see them do their best work is is a pretty nice thing. What was the last big thing that came off the blacklist? King Richard comes out today, and oh. that was the number two script on the blacklist in 2018, 2019, I think. Okay. So that's that's big doings. I'm trying to think of some of uh, Yo, the... I was like, when I first saw the poster for that, I was like, all right, like I think I have a sense of what kind of movie this is. And then I was at a theater, saw the trailer, and I was like, God damn. I was like getting choked up. Like, <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm good with this. Like, I get it, you know, I Coach Dad. Oh my <laughs> God, why aren't I watching this? And like, I don't know what love is. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite Blacklist stories, though, is that Succession sort of started as a Blacklist script. Oh. Jesse Armstrong had written a script, I believe, about the Murdoch family that was on the Blacklist mm. that sort of morphed into Succession, which is exciting. So thanks for writing okay. that, Jesse Armstrong. Yeah. We're all better for it. Yeah. <laughs> Right. That's awesome. Ugh. And it just has to be like unproduced or like unpurchased to make it into the... Not necessarily unpurchased, just the first day of principal photography cannot have begun if Got the it. script makes the blacklist. Like, Word. I'm pretty sure like when King Richard was on the blacklist, like Will Smith was already attached to Star or like right. was it. announced a couple days later. So yeah, things are on in various stages of production. But you know, yeah. too, that, that being said, there are still many, many blacklist scripts that have, have never gotten made. Industry folks who want some good material go back mm -hmm. to the old blacklist and see what's still available. Yeah. But yeah, it's been super cool to like sort of watch all those folks evolve and watch the movies enter the mainstream and just, you know, become a part of the conversation. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out if I should submit my screenplay that has Will Smith attached already. But it sounds like I'm good <laughs> to do that. So uh, you'll be yeah, hearing from you know, me. Just just take it to HBO Max. They'll get you set up just like real <laughs> quick. Yeah. <laughs> we know some all people right. over there. Be pretty quick. 
Kate, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, a few of the things we're talking about. Uh, we have an update on the story about Christy Nome's daughter's licensing attempt to be <laughs> li- a licensed real estate agent. Appraiser. Okay. Appraiser. appraiser. My it's bad. A lot My bad. Sorry. It's like, and also really fucking unfair how hard it is. <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, letter grades and whether those are going to go away. We're going to talk about red wine being like weed. According to and, this study. Yeah, according to this study, <laughs> as well as lifting weights, as well as just existing. Reading the please, Bible is please apparently buy just... our product. It is like weed. <laughs> Weed-like properties. <laughs> All of that, plenty more. But first, Kate, we do like to ask our guests, what is something from your search history? I learned a fun fact this week. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was doing some just like general spooky Cincinnati Googling, and I learned that the very first commercial haunted house was in Deer Park, Ohio, which is where my dad grew up and started in 1970 as part of the like Junior Chamber of Commerce. Junior Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, right. Young Capitalist (laughs) Club. Okay, go on. They were called the JCs for JC, Junior Chamber, and they would just like find spooky abandoned houses and make these like really crazy themed rooms before the time of like Spirit Halloween stores. So like homemade props and things like that. But, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati my whole life and Cincinnati is kind of a spooky town, but I had no idea that like the sort of haunted house as we know it today began there. And I've been fascinated by this all week. Also, the guy who started it is this like, local gardening expert in Cincinnati. He's on oh. like, you know, the grandma radio stations. And you're like, how did you come up with haunted houses, my guy? Like what? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so the like so in the sense that the earliest sort of documented how haunted house type things were people just setting up like grandiose displays and rooms and like and then that kind of evolved to what we have now with our characters and mazes and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I read that it was like initially like there were some earlier haunted houses that were like sort of like one off things or like in the Great Depression, I guess there are a bunch of rascally boys out on the streets on Halloween night. So they're like, we need to like keep them indoors. So people would like turn their basements into haunted houses. But yeah, the first sort of like, let's charge admission that let's make this an event like, you know, let's make this like a destination. Yeah, just little Deer Park, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, wild times. (laughs) I lived in uh, Dayton for five years, and I I have a memory where my friends and I were going, we were, like, planning to go to Cincinnati to go to, like, this haunted house. Or I think it was a haunted hospital. They were like, it has multiple floors. It's terrifying. And then I, like, babied out and was like, you guys, I just I don't think we should do it. <laughs> I, I know exactly uh, what Soprano. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. This was like a local legend was like, if you survive every floor, you get like the top floor is the scariest, but you got to survive, sign a waiver if anything happens to you. Yeah. I remember uh, we were in the van getting ready to go and I like came up with an excuse for why I, I couldn't go. And I think I like uh-huh. blew up the whole trip. <laughs> I don't blame yeah. you. I love horror movies, but I do not fuck with haunted houses. I do not want to be touched. I don't want no. anybody in my face. Like, that's yeah. a whole different level. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was, I think the last time we talked about it, I'll walk through that thing screaming, like <laughs> trying to be more scary to the characters. Just like, <laughs> off the, I'm like, what's up? What y'all want? Fuck out of here. I'm wild. This is my place. And I'm just like petrified inside. <laughs> so I don't do it. It's not good for my blood pressure. 
By the way, the, people should know, just so that in case we have listeners who like to picture things in their mind, that Miles is now a standing podcaster. And so we get, like, I when he was just around. doing that, he paced around and was uh, flexing on imaginary. Controlling the stage. Yeah, this is fun, man. <laughs> like Donald Trump in a fucking debate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is something you think is overrated, Kate? Oh boy, I'm gonna get a lot of haters for this one, but I gotta oh, do hey. it because it's seasonally appropriate. Um, I think Christmas music is wild overrated, and I think people who start listening to it like in mid October, like that's a lot. It's a lot. I'm not saying all Christmas music is bad. I'm not saying Christmas music shouldn't be played during the Christmas season, but when there are like three radio stations dedicated to Christmas music, like mm. November first, that is a little bit of overkill, guys. I would yeah. say. Yeah, it is really it's a strange phenomenon that like for a month, like that's how powerful Christmas is is that for a month, we all just listen to like mediocre music and it's like the same every year. And we're just like, yeah, but it it is. I mean, it's all about nostalgia, right? So we're just I think that's that's what's wild. Yeah, it's like it's an emotional safe space for a lot of American people like Mm -hmm. but this time of year was great. Because then school would be out and I could stay home and there were gifts and then I saw family and then I didn't have to go to school. And I feel like a lot of my because I'm one of these people like I will turn into a straight up Karen starting <laughs> December 1st. Like I, I try and wait or maybe right after That's Thanksgiving. That's reasonable, though, yeah, like yeah. after Thanksgiving. Yeah. But the like people are listening to, to Christmas music in mid-October. I'm just like, that's a such cool. a long time. And too much of a thing you like is bad. Like it will become meaningless because yeah. I only I really like you're saying there are only like 16 songs I really like. And you will go through them sh- like songs back then were like 90 seconds. So you listen to all of them like 40 minutes. You're like, fuck, man, another round. Of that playlist, yeah, that's why I just jingle like, about rock again, loop it yeah. again. <laughs> the thing I do is I'll put on like piano covers, like piano jazz covers of like uh, Christmas standards at night to make my house feel like a hotel lobby that I'm not supposed to be in. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Do you have like yeah. some cinnamon, like a uh, potpourri that you can put there? Oh yeah, a you know, some, to... some some milling spices. You know what I mean? You got that milling spices. You got that. Mm-hmm. I have I have my Woodwick Yankee candles. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? With that crackle yeah. and shit. I'm telling. I'm not joking about this. The vibe setting I do. Yeah, I'm some big austere glass, like non cheerful. I'm just trying to picture like a fancy hotel at Christmas. I feel like they have like it's a giant glass fucking christmas tree or something yeah a lot or it's of like, orbs many yeah. orbs, orbs. Yeah. yeah so many orbs or like a like a gigantic what looks like a scientific glass flask which is meant to yeah. like evoke a christmas tree with like ribbon it's like very minimal it's very fancy i do feel like the early like the fact that christmas is getting earlier and earlier is probably connected to the overall like infantilization of america because like i hadn't really made the connection until like now I have a three-year-old who starts asking about Christmas in like August. And so I feel like it's just, yeah, yeah. Like it's, you know, kid, the the little baby and all of us being like, I want Christmas now. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm like, what what am I going to deal with my 37-year-old reality? Right. Fuck exactly. That. I'm fucking nine. Yeah. <laughs> Let's it's go. Fun. I was just talking to my therapist about regression and the fact that like so many of us have regressed during the pandemic for better and worse. And Mm -hmm. like, I definitely think that's a huge part of the Christmas thing getting earlier and earlier. It's like 
the world is so bad. People are just looking for like little slivers of comfort and right. Christmas music is one of them. So I don't want to begrudge anybody's Christmas music listening. I just like don't maybe worry, not yeah. for you, <laughs> maybe- but for you, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the real racket is a musician is like, write that Christmas song as we've oh. seen with Mariah Carey. Like, you'll be making bank for the rest of your life as will oh, your grandchildren. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Right. Can you imagine like the, like, you know, like how Anderson Cooper is like a Vanderbilt and like, there's someone, the equivalent of like Mariah Carey's descendants to like, they descend from that. All I want for Christmas money, <laughs> generational wealth. Yes. That new money. Yeah. yeah that- <laughs> right. Or who knows if they're smart about it. It's old money by the time it's like 2100. Oh man. If the earth's around. What's uh what's something that you think is underrated? This has been in my crowd this week because my friend Jen Johans just did a podcast with one of the co-creators. And I feel like the internet has been super thirsty for Lee Pace recently because Lee Pace has been giving us a lot of really great thirst traps. Mm-hmm. But I still find people all the time who have either never heard of or never watched Halt and Catch Fire, which I think is like the greatest show of the sort of golden age of TV. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, you know, the sort of founding of computers and the internet as we know it today is like not a thing that I'm like particularly interested in in the same way that like you know Baltimore city politics and the wire is not something I thought I'd be interested in but the writing of Mm. Hong Catch Fire is just unbelievable and it does a really cool bait and switch from season one to season two you think it's gonna be like another one of these sort of like bad white man stories and his sort of like redemption and then they just pull the rug out from under you and it becomes about the two female leads who are Carrie Bechet and um, oh my god why did uh, Mackenzie why did her name just fall out? Mackenzie Davis. Thank you. Yeah. And they sort of become the leads of the show. And it becomes about sort of like women in business during a very tumultuous time in the late 80s and early 90s. Incredible music choices. One of the most elegantly produced shows that has like a bunch of massive time jumps in it, which is really cool to like see characters 10 years after we met them. I don't know, man. It's just one of the best shows. And I still feel like Mm. a ton of people have never seen it. I think it's still streaming on Netflix. But yeah, if you've not watched Halt and Catch Fire, like what a what a nice cozy blanket of of a show about some fucked up people just trying to be a little bit better for each other. Damn. Mm. Okay. I couldn't take a suggestion more seriously than from you. So I'm going to definitely <laughs> yeah, watch that. Damn. I'm going to have to watch it now. It's funny because I'm looking it up. I'm like, wait, Chris Cantwell is a showrunner, the crying Nazi from Charlottesville. But it's just an unfortunate common name. It is mm. a common name. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I liked, I watched like the first couple when it was on. And I was like, this is boring. This is a Mad Men ripoff. And then I had friends who were like, no, 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 you need to stick with it. And you do need to stick with it because it kind of becomes a completely different show after the first season. So yeah, check it out, guys. Oh, it's and really Trent Moller did the theme music? Okay. This uh, Danish like EDM producer who I really, fu- okay, you might remember him from, I, I know you'll remember this. If you remember Eastbound and Down, when mm. they do ecstasy at the dance, mm-hmm. and there's a song that's like, boom, 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 boom. It's like this, like <laughs> trippy music. That's Trent Mulder. Okay. Yeah. I think one of the guys from um, Tangerine Dream, too, does some of the music, which is really cool. That's like a nice throwback to all those great 80s Tangerine Dream right. scores. But yeah, well, watch out and catch fire, guys. It's so good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, We're going to watch Halt and Catch Fire in its entirety, and we'll be right back. Yep. And we're back. Woo! 
You weren't kidding. Yeah. What a show. What it was a, show. a bait and switch. I did watch it on 44X speed, but I think I got most of it in the <laughs> performance. Just like God intended. Yeah. What was your yeah. favorite moment? Oh, <laughs> uh, the one where like somebody blinks into existence for like one split second and, and then, then blinks out of existence. <laughs> or they might have like had a long scene. Or I may was... have blinked while it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Forget. All right. Let's talk about Governor Christy Nome. And her alleged nepotism issues. Alleged. Alleged. So her daughter was trying to get a real estate appraiser license. The tests were not fair. Mm -mm. They were too hard. Way too hard. And so her her mom stepped in to make it all better. Yeah. And what's what's wrong with that? The most American thing, nepotism Mm -hmm. and being helped out by rich, powerful parents. By Gover Mom. What's wrong with that? Let Gover Mom step in and make it all better. And yeah, like it was a whole thing. She had to come out and deny it because the whole thing was like, again, if you for, if you didn't listen to that episode, she wanted to get her license. They said, yo, she wasn't even doing the bare minimum. So we had to deny it. And then the governor, uh, Gnome, calls like the like sort of the the power brokers or the people who have the, the power to decide or oversee this like process of giving these uh, licenses out, summoned them to her office for like a fucking talk with her daughter in the fucking room. And mm. then like, then suddenly people were like, Oh wait, but now she got approved after that meeting, which again, I just want to refresh everyone's memory that led us to this clip where Christy Nome was very much saying like, look, I don't know like what's happening here. I just know that, here, we'll, we'll, we'll just let Christy say it for herself. I raised her to accomplish things on her own, just like my parents raised me. Other appraisers went through the exact same process that Cassidy did. And I'll be honest, my administration started fixing that process, and it was way too difficult. Appraisers- okay, so that's really the one part of that <laughs> thing we need to hear her say. Where she's like, yeah, man, I had nothing to do with it. All right, I'm going to be real. We changed some shit, though, to make it easier because this shit was really unfair. It was too hard. I mean, let's be real. Like, and I'll be honest, it had to change because it's it, it, it is unfortunately too difficult. So, yes, her. Well, it turns out that all this attention uh, on sweet young Cassidy uh, has been way too much. And now she is, I guess, ready to throw it in. And I just want to read this this sort of excerpt from the AP. Gnome's daughter, Cassidy Peters, slammed a legislative inquiry and news reporting on the episode in a letter to Secretary of Labor, Marsha Holtman. She also released a document that a legislative committee was seeking to subpoena. Oh, okay. Mm. So someone was look- okay, someone's looking for receipts. Lawmakers were zeroing in on the timeline of a meeting Gnome called last year that included Peters and key decision makers in a government agency that had moved days earlier to deny her application. Oh, so... Here's the thing. As she's saying like she's going to quit or like there's nothing to see here. So I'm curious if she's trying to do that thing where like maybe you stole something, but then mm. you like you ditch it. So if like people start looking for it, you can be like, I never I don't know. I have it. I never really had it. So maybe you don't have to care about this anymore. <laughs> like it's kind of like her energy here, which is sort of like, oh, shit, subpoenas. Here's this other thing, which leads us to the next part, which she says, quote, I am writing you today. This is her writing to the the secretary of labor. I am writing to you today to express my disappointment and anger that my good name and professional reputation continue to be damaged by questions and misinformation concerning the appraiser certification program. 
She went on to say that she would turn in her fucking appraiser license by the end of the year. <gasps> end of the year, though. <laughs> Adding, quote, quote, I'm angry and I can acknowledge that this has successfully destroyed my business. Mm. I oh, mean, you hate to see it. It's a really it's assassination. It's a character assassination. 100%. Of somebody job. who dared to be like, this test is too hard. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. That is, that's just an amazing, like, comedy moment of someone sitting down to a test, like, that everyone's taking and just, like, stand, being like, yo, this is too hard. Like, right. I'm sorry, <laughs> what? This is too hard. <laughs> or maybe you didn't prepare enough. Right. I don't know. I feel like it's, like, full Streisand effect, too, by calling attention to oh, it. Yeah. They've made it such a worse problem than it would initially be. I love that white women are getting the boldness of old white guys in terms of like, well, t- little Tommy had a hard time on the geometry test, so right. I'm going to sue the school board. Um, yeah. Oh, God. White women are a curse as a white woman, I would like to just say. And, you know, white women are are exercising nepotism, too, like their male counterparts have been yeah. doing for so many years. What a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, look, I would love a little nepotism. There's a show, there's a track that we just went out on recently called The Mission. And that's like this black singer talking about like how much he would yearn to have his kids experience a little nepotism. And that's Mm. the mission. But yeah, this, this defense again, it's like, how dare you point out that my mother abused her power of her office to make my life easier, all while the regular working poor people had to just do it with their bootstraps and also misinformation. For good measure, she threw that word in there. I'm surprised she didn't evoke the holy trinity of uh, right, the right-wing scapegoat trinity of basically being like, it's George Soros, Antifa, and Black Lives Matter mm. once again oh, don't trying think to ruin my business. To this, Miles. Well, right. critical race theory, I'm sure. Oh, has I a, forgot. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. just that. And Toni Morrison's beloved. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I mean, the stream of consciousness storytelling in that book <laughs> <laughs> completely upended my business. I'm sorry, Your Honor? I'm an SAT proctor. This test is too hard. This is not fair. I object as this is not fair. Anyways, just shout out to... I I do... I hope this does not dissuade anybody from subpoenaing the records and, you know, letting us know... Because I really want to see like the test, like what she turned in, what 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 we're looking at, like the her first draft of like trying to get this shit done. Right. I want to see the questions that she got wrong yeah so keep keep it moving for us folks yeah all right well let's talk about schools let's talk about schools being unfair yeah speaking of that because you know in addition to pouring billions of dollars into the sweatpant industry the pandemic (laughs) has changed a lot about how we think about schooling because parents had to (laughs) had to do it had to like sit there with their kids while they were trying to learn it was very difficult Mm -hmm. but you know at the end of 2020 there was an unprecedented rise in Fs, which, mm. you know, it feels it feels like that is one way to deal with, like, the fact that a complete act of God that nobody had any control over came in and made it much harder for kids to learn is to blame it on the kids and, mm-hmm. you know, make the rest of their lives harder by just flunking them. But a bunch of school boards have been coming together to try to address this issue, figure out like how they can change how we think about schooling and 
you know, how we uh, judge students in a way that will be more fair and more appropriate to the modern world. Right. Because apparently, like, the the letter grade thing was invented, like, 100 years ago, or I guess 120, dating back to 1897. And the reason that it stuck is because it became, like, very common in the how we graded meat. And so like, that's that's how it got like sort of oh, so grade on the culture. A beef was grade A beef became trend. such a wow. Put that yeah. over to grade A math skills, <laughs> right? What yeah, is grade I, F beef? That's my question. Like, oh, what that's is the good oh. shit? Oh man, my grandfather used to tell a funny story as the parent of German immigrants who didn't speak a ton of English that a bunch of kids would just lie to their parents about what the grading scale meant. So it was like F was fine. D right. was damn fine, C was could do better, <laughs> B was bad, and A was awful, which I've always found so funny. <laughs> I mean, you know, it has a certain por- sort of a uh, sense to it, but kids won't be able to get away with that shit anymore, apparently. But I like the the things that they're, you know, looking to change are basically they want kids t- to be judged based on how mu- mastery of the skill they're trying to learn. Right. So if they have learned it well enough to do it, then they get by. If they haven't done that, then they have to keep going. But like, which I assumed is like how teachers were thinking about the letter grades too, right? Like that, oh, well, they haven't learned math, but they're pointing out that like there are stupid things that go into somebody failing, like, you know, missing a class or not following directions and so they're trying to do away with that sort of thing. Right. I, yeah, go ahead. I mean, all, all that shit did for me was just obsess over being in the, like, scoring above 90% on tests because that was a threshold for an A. And half the time, it was just, I mean, it was funny, too, because I think the letter, I think because culturally I was so sort of, oriented to be like yo these fucking a's better be hitting on this card when i see it that like it put into me like fuck i gotta do anything to get an a more than even being like i gotta do whatever it takes to learn this i right. just m- became more about yo can i cramp memory recall the fuck out of this for a test and also truth be told i hated science i just started cheating in science because i was like fuck that i'm not fucking my grades up yeah i'll fucking i will i will order the teacher's edition of this physics book and do a, I have the test already, so thank you. <laughs> it's so real, though. It's like you're not learning things. You're just like, let me learn the structure of the eyeball for this biology quiz and then not retain a lick of it for any future sort of like things. Right. But guys, what about our permanent records? It's going to go in our permanent records, yeah. these yeah. apps. Oh, my God. I haven't even heard. Yo, you fucked me up just saying that out loud. This is going to be on your permanent record, y'all. Like, this I remember is going to go on your, your yeah. <laughs> And it's like, I never saw it. Did it exist? Okay. What I asked was my dad it? about this. He said you were full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, we'll talk about that at the parent-teacher conference. For any children listeners, like, not a day goes by where my permanent record from middle school is not dangled Haunting over my you. head yeah. by the police, by the banks. IRS, yeah. <laughs> banks. Employers, everything. The doctor. But yeah, so LA and San Diego Unified uh, School Districts are... Directing teachers to, and this sounds like what they should have already been doing, base academic grades on whether students have learned what was expected of them during a course and not penalize them for behavior, work habits, and missed deadlines. It's like, yeah, Mm. motherfucker, 
that's that's how we should have always been doing it because the school closures that happened disproportionately affected the grades of black and latinx students so right yeah i i mean it's 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 interesting too right and i'm sure there's plenty of alternative schools that take this into account because i feel like that's just a huge focus area for people in education but like i think it's like the stakes are just so high like they feel so high in this like a through f system that it will either create like kids will either very quickly be like okay fuck it i can like rise to this situation or check out because it just becomes frustrating you know and even if they can like i have so many friends who are more than capable of being in ap classes but like the momentum of like academia and like being sort of told like you're kind of like a C student. It's yeah. like, nah, man, his parents were fighting all the time and he was distracted and couldn't do his fucking homework like other kids or whatever. Like that's sort of what's happening here. You yeah. know who's not going to like this? Hmm. Mainstream media. I feel no. like the mainstream media is a society of straight A students oh, who yeah. bought into that. Well, and a lot you know, of, or a lot of F students going and buy on nepotism. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, who like actually think, and I think a lot of, you know, just a lot of like the people in power in America will not like this because there is a belief that like, well, I went to a better college and that means not that I'm, I had more opportunities, but that I'm like actually smarter and need to like be in control and like making these decisions that affect other people because I need to make them for them. Like mm -hmm. I, that is definitely un, like undergirding like a lot of how people think. And I think the media and the world of finance and like that's also how they justify just the generally fucked up way that our society is built out. So right. like the idea that, well, what do you mean I, my kid can't get straight A's like that's. But it's all so this is a competition based market. I mean, society that we yeah. live in. <sighs> I'm glad we've like started having this conversation about gifted kids and like that whole escalator of madness. Like, it's I don't know if you guys bonkers. like we talk too much about it on Twitter, I will say. And there have been too many things in the sort of like former gifted kids do this. But I don't know, like I myself and a lot of my friends, it's like. Yo, we've been grinding since we were five. Like, this is <laughs> right. not fun anymore. Like, I got all the A's. I did all the right stuff. Yep. I still can't buy a fucking house. Like, I am oh, taking yeah. a breather and smoking some weed. Like, yeah, I am go. not. Like, yeah. It's, right. I, I hope parents are, like, loosening the reins on some of that stuff, too, and realizing that, like, if every kid gets straight A's and every kid does all the right sort of, like, extracurriculars, like you're still in the same boat when things like COVID happen. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, but I, I can like see the Fox News segment on this now. It's going to be like tied to the war on Christmas. It's like the war on report cards. Yeah, oh, woke, yeah, yeah. Woke, woke report cards. Yeah. Report cards are now woke because it's <laughs> even now too hard to hear that you have failed at something. Yeah, uh, sure. But I mean, I think it goes along with this other thing, too. Like this, these studies constantly come out like, again, they're showing like 43 percent of like Harvard, like white students that were admitted were like recruited athletes, legacy students or like on a dean's interest list, meaning like parents gave money. And yeah. you're saying 43 percent of those kids going to Harvard are there because of not I'm sure of like the hardcore merit based admissions that many of the other students face. But there's right. just always these levels to like. It's never the same scale applied to everyone. So it would be interesting to see where something where it's like, yeah, guess what? In this version, this kid, too, will be treated as a valid applicant to a school 
because we have a more just sort of holistic, even keeled way of saying like, yep, this kid knows it. This kid does, too. We are the best of the best of billionaire children. (laughs) (laughs) But so uh, there are reasons to believe that this is a better. For instance, there's a school in New York City that tried this, basically did away with letter grades and it was a middle school, and they say in this Washington Post article, quote, the approach has been transformative in the 2013-14 school year. 7% of its students read at grade level, and 5% met the state's math standards. Two years later, 29% were proficient in English, 26% proficient in math, pulling the school close to the city average just by getting rid of these standards of pass-fail. And like the, I also feel like there's... Like, there are a lot of great teachers. Like, I, I've had a lot of great teachers. I've also seen teachers who feel empowered because they get to be like, pass, fail. Oh, yeah. like, pa- I get to pass judgment on these kids' lives. That was fucking Miss Hecox. I still remember your ass. <laughs> Don't think we forgot Miss oh, but, I, but Yeah, she tried. But guess what? I'm good at math. So there's you can't hold me down. <laughs> There are some teachers that are just like straight sadists and, you know, to say not to malign the many, many wonderful, dedicated, like this is their life's work as teachers of the world. But you do think back on some of those teachers you had. You're like, what was your deal, man? Like, what was going on here? Like, right. I had this like older person just take all their like life's anger out on me. Like legit when I look back and you kind of have the wherewithal to understand like human behavior a little bit more outside of like the academic or like child adult dynamic i was like yo you were so fucking unhappy with your life and you just got your jollies off walking in here and just acting a fool like that was really that was the loop you were caught in and unfortunately we were calling you the teacher Mm. yeah but again like you're saying i've luckily had so many good teachers that like could tell I was maybe like starting to check out or whatever. I was just distracted. I'd rather fuck around or something. And they would always come like kind of, you know, gas you up and be like, hey, man, you're smart. Like you can do this shit. Like just mm. do it. And I'm like, all right, fine. You got it. Well, and that's such a problem with like contemporary schooling too, is like we all have such specific ways of learning and retaining information and teachers have to figure out the 30 different styles of that for yeah, every kid in their class, every period. Teachers should be making like 500 grand a year. Absolutely. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> they should be the ballers of the earth. Like if you go to yeah. a nightclub and they're coming through a bottle service and the fucking flares, you're like, oh, you know, the teacher's in the building. There should be a bunch of ugly sweaters at the booth that those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just like <laughs> sipping the crystal from yeah, straws. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like shout out to all the teachers in the building. We got two for one drinks for teachers. <laughs> like, Oh, I like this club. All right. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to find out why red wine is like weed. Seriously, you guys. And we're back. And yeah, it, it seems like everybody wants to get on the, the legal weed mm-hmm. bandwagon. The approval rating for weed, I feel like, is just shot through the roof. Oh, yeah. Now, now, the, now the conservatives see like the revenue potential. Yeah, like yeah. they're introducing fucking bills now. Yeah. You're like, yeah, we need to decriminalize weeds, folks. I don't know what the fuck's going on with everybody, man. <laughs> we need but to like, decriminalize <laughs> weeds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> immediately, you're like, okay, sure. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, weed is, uh, you know, becoming more and more normal. And 
I, there, but here's the thing, man. Like, so there's these studies, just like the weed like things the from working out will enter your body, which I understand. Like, there's always like headlines like that were like this computer algorithm invented the new heroin or like chocolate consumption linked to longer life and you're like i like that as a headline i'm not gonna look into it much more than that because i like the idea that me eating this chocolate will extend my life and then you look into it you're like there's properties within chocolate like in this very narrow study when used this way had a better effect for like mice and then you're like well that has nothing to do with me eating this gigantic thanksgiving pie from reese's so in this sense you know, it's just like the sensational mix with the scientific. And it usually drives a lot of clicks because you like hearing things. Where it's like weed makes you smarter. And you're like, OK, great. And then you look, and you're like, maybe this wasn't the hardest of sciences. But this one was very interesting. It was just saying like red wine is like it's giving people like a weed type feeling. And this was the sort of subheading under this study. Quote, red wine induces psychological states characterized by bliss, a focus on the present moment, an enhanced fascination with one's surroundings, and a softening of the differentiation between oneself and the environment where, when consumed in a tranquil environment, according to a new research study. I said, Oh, okay. I this is the first time I've started to wonder, and it would it would be like the end of Usual Suspects when he starts like seeing all the things that Kaiser says it was oh, pulling. Kobayashi's on the yeah. bottom of the mug. Yeah. yeah, like is there a big red wine? Like, is there a big wine that is like putting all these studies out? Because I feel like all my life, all I've heard is like red wine is actually like basically fucking health food. You guys, yeah. Like, it's kind of crazy that we don't let kids drink red wine because it would make them live till they're a thousand years old and make them smarter. <laughs> hey, Snoop Dogg, here's three billion bucks to say weeds, the, uh, red wine's the new weed. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> for shizzle. Uh, I guess it is red whizzle. But yeah, maybe there is big red wine. Oh, yeah. You know they were behind, behind that. That's going to be the new... I, this was like five or six years ago, but I read, I don't even know what publication it was in, but it was about big kale and how kale suddenly became like a sexy vegetable again. And it was because they dumped like millions of dollars into marketing kale as this like superfood when it had been garnished on like yeah. Yeah. bad salad buffets. Right. Yeah. Pizza yeah. Hut that salad buffets. Pizza Hut was the biggest consumer of oh, kale. Take for me back all, to a Pizza Hut buffet, yeah. please. For all the 90s because... With those red cups. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just because they used it as the garnish in between like things on the on the. I oh, bet yeah. there is a big Sound red button. wine because they've realized too. A bunch of like wine moms have realized that weed is like easier to deal well, with on a yeah. daily basis than red oh, wine. It's yeah. the same thing like with rosé. Like rosé definitely had a huge push from I guess whatever their equivalent of lobbyists are, but like you know their consultants who go out and like are like, hey man, it's all about rosé. Here we go. But yeah, so this study, you're like, okay. Uh, I guess what red wine will make you feel like Matthew McConaughey where you're transcending space time and like your connections to oneself are enhanced. So I'm like, okay, well, what's the methodology around this exactly? Because again, very interesting, you know, proposal from this abstract. So you go in and say, well, what's going on? The methodology fucking sounds like some shit I would have tried in, a, in the 11th grade because it's not really, the methodology isn't that great. They essentially had people fill out a questionnaire at a fucking wine bar where people who lot fucking love wine are already hanging out. 
Right. Uh, and I just want to read it from this article. Quote, after arriving at the wine bar and being seated at a table, the participants completed questionnaires regarding their demographics, drinking habits, and smoking habits. They also completed various measures of altered states of consciousness. The participants were asked to drink two glasses, blah, blah, blah. And then they said, after they finished their second glass of wine, the participants completed the measures of altered states of consciousness again. Now, I am not a scientist, although I always say I am on this show, and I apologize <laughs> to listeners that have believed my science advice. But isn't it like not good to tell people in a, a study that like, here's the thing we're going to measure, measure you on on the other side of this too. Like, right. I feel like you'll, you'll, you'll stealth it in the many questions or something so they can't quite pick up on what's being asked so your answers aren't biased. But yeah, you have to do like thing. double blind studies where and usually like they'll lie to you about what the study's like in a well-designed s- study. They'll like lie to you about what it is, like what that they're testing so that you're not thinking about the thing that they're actually testing. Right. This sounds like it is like already people who have a concerted interest in thinking it's cool and healthy to drink wine right. since they're at a wine bar. <laughs> and then they're like, hey, we just want to know like how cool and healthy it is for this right. wine. So like that's what we're going to be asking you about. Right. It's like how I was able to crack like the quantum physics like wildest equation with the help of meth. Right. As told to you by <laughs> people who are addicted to meth. It's like, well, hold on. Like, is, no. who is this group now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm way more interested in people who like don't drink or right. drink rarely having those effects. Like, yeah, if you're at a wine bar drinking wine, you're probably having a pretty good time to begin with. <laughs> right. Not right. the most sort of sterile or like neutral venue for such a study. But here's the thing. You're like, okay, well, then what about the control group? There was none. <laughs> there wasn't even a control group. And I'm going to just read. These people are arrogant as fuck. (laughs) Like, what? This is not... How dare people even post this as science quote? Some people may argue that the lack of a control group drinking a non-alcoholic beverage impeded us to examine the effects of just being in a pleasant wine bar. However, this is unlikely to have influenced the results because when we were doing the study, it was clear that for most people, sitting in a wine bar drinking a non-alcoholic beverage would have been a boring and average experience. (laughs) <laughs> what? What? Yo, was this study designed and I, conducted by Christy Nome's daughter? Yo, I feel because like because when we were like, doing the study, I, okay, <laughs> <laughs> shit, yeah, really fuck? defensive. In contrast, the effects we observed were of a highly positive nature. But because some researchers may not be aware of how boring control conditions with non-alcoholic drinks can be in these cases, we would include one in the next study. Wow. What the fuck? That's bad science, guys. That's like your eighth grade science teacher like being like, no, you did not do this experiment correctly. Please try again. (laughs) Well, look, if you were there in the backyard like doing this experiment, you would know that it's stupid too. Like you wouldn't have even done it. I guess I'll do it for the next one. Plus, they missed an opportunity because it's really fun to give people a non-alcoholic beverage and tell them they're getting drunk and see like how wild they could just i mean that really should have been it to be like people that you could have been like people at wine bars are full of shit y'all let me right. tell you why because we gave them fucking juice and they said they were feeling one with the universe right no then they, one of the sort of authors of the city just went on again just to kind of clarify like 
I'm not saying it's wine's going to do all this, but it's just quote. I believe that the appreciation of red wine and other alcoholic beverages can be increased when we are more aware of its effects on the mind. It also, it's also possible that being aware of the effects of alcohol on consciousness con- contribute contributes to healthier drinking styles by reducing impulsive drinking that is characterized by a lack of awareness. Mm. However, research is needed to confirm this. Okay, folks, we're out. Oh man. So what they've the the two things that they've discovered. People at wine bar enjoy wine. That's the <laughs> Yep. Okay. First study. Needed a study for that. Mm-hmm. Second bullet point. Like wine's pretty good. Like alcohol's not that bad after two drinks. Just like don't don't <laughs> right. keep drinking. Which like everybody knows. Like that's the yeah, if everybody just stopped at two drinks, that'd be great. We wouldn't have the yeah. the problems that we do with alcohol. But that is not news to anybody. Right. I know some people with some wine-stained teeth that'll absolutely uh, <laughs> yeah. be like, I'm I, talking about this stuff. I feel like wine became the new beer of like, because it was beer in the 90s with the like, oh, I drink, but I like drink on the lighter side of things. And then it switched right. to become wine. Yeah. I don't know. I quit drinking a couple years ago because I have a bum stomach. And it is fascinating to like be in a bunch of contexts where people are drinking. And like some people are legitimately horrified that you like don't drink anymore. Yeah, and I'm like, right. guys, it's not. Like, mm. it's not a personal affront to you. I just, like, I have two beers and I throw up. Like, that's not fun no, for no, anybody. No, you're, no, you're saying I have a, dr- I drink too much, right? I'm like, I'm probably high right now. Like, I'm not making <laughs> a judgment. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting to see who, who really gets upset when you're not drinking. Because it's so, like, baked into the fabric of so many things. And it's yeah. like, you know, you hear people be like, oh, well, I can't do that till I have a couple drinks. Or, like, you know, I need to get a right. little toasty. And you're like, do you? Not until I've had my wine. Yeah. Really? Okay. All right. And finally, I just wanted to, every once in a while, we like to check in with Netflix to see who's watching what. And they just issued a overall list of the top TV that's ever been available for streaming on Netflix and the top films that's ever been available. And yeah, I would would love to hear, Kate, your thoughts on this. The the big takeaway, the big update is this is post-Squid Game. And so the previous high had been Bridgerton at 625 million hours viewed. And now we have Squid Game season one at 1.6 billion. Wow. So it's almost triple the previous high and like the the second most watched show so like everything else is pretty much where where it was last time we checked that i don't see too much that's new you it seems to be running uh me yeah you are you are running up the charts yeah wait hold on i was on netflix laura give it a fucking rest okay (laughs) all right white power (laughs) (laughs) so i i guess i'm interested in hearing your thoughts on like trends you're seeing broadly across the types of screenplays that are like being greenlit and written and like i don't know it seems like a socialist critique of capitalism like resonating with audiences like globally level (laughs) like what has been a revelation to a lot of people like we're we're writers already on the case do you think that that is going to be a new trend or what are your thoughts on all that? I mean, let us hope so. I do think it's incredibly fascinating that like the number one Netflix TV show of all time is an international show that like, 
I'm not saying nobody in Hollywood would have taken a chance on, but like the creator has talked about, he got passes for like 10 years and then suddenly it becomes this monster hit on Netflix. And I think it's a good lesson in being like, fuck the trends, like fuck what everybody else says, like make the thing you want to make and make it well. And like the audience will find itself. I am, I'm really interested that Netflix is sort of switching their metric from the like two minutes watch to like, what is it now? An hour or like half of whatever the thing is. Yeah, It's not old Facebook style of counting views. The like two minutes watch, you're like, yeah, that's like I went to get a drink after my thing ended and two right. minutes of Red Notice played. I did not watch Red Notice. Like right, right. <laughs> that the Red Notice that is wild to me though, that they're saying, what is it, 74 million households watched Red Notice? Cause like I don't know anybody who did. Yeah. Um but yeah, you know, I think it's an interesting time for content. I am hoping we keep on this trend of like, at least in the immediate future, I don't want to see any media about COVID. Like, like, I don't want any topical, like, oh, right. it's like of the moment where, like, we're like, all the people were like, oh, guys, but during Trump, we're going to get so much good art. Like, we did not, folks. Right. We did not get yeah. a bunch of good Trump art. There's that one X-Files episode that was, like, literally it. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, it is interesting. Like, I think people are craving more of this sort of, like, feel-good escapist stuff. Like, if Ted Lasso comes out two years ago, I don't know if it has the same sort of reaction it does in the pandemic when everybody is home. And, like, on the other side of that coin i don't think everybody is like feeling bad watching five episodes of tiger king if they're not like immediately quarantined but i don't know i think the thing that's most exciting about streaming to me just like generally is that we might see a little bit of a bounce back in these sort of like middle budget movies that have been really swallowed up in the theatrical it's like you're either going super indie awards route or you're going huge tentpole for a studio and there have been some things i feel like that have been popping up on streaming that are a little bit more in that middle zone so that's definitely exciting to me like bird boxes i I guess that was like kind of a like there were a lot of effects and it had to create a post-apocalyptic reality but it wasn't like what it wasn't like pre-existing IP and it wasn't, you know, an extraction is just basically a straight down the middle like action movie that used to be made in like the 80s and early 90s, but not really so much anymore. Yeah, the extraction one there is fascinating to me that that's like one of the most watched movies on the platform. And then The Irishman, which costs a ton of money, but like it's all on the screen too. So you're right. like, yeah. okay, like Martin, you get to <laughs> happy birthday, short king, Martin Scorsese yesterday. Yeah. But yeah, I I think these trends are going to be really interesting, especially as people like Scorsese are making like, you know, $100 million movies for Apple, which is his next right. one. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I, I you know, I don't know, like... Sometimes I feel good when I'm depressed to watch something like really feel bad and nihilistic. But like, I don't know, after the last couple of years, you're like, I don't know how much brain bandwidth I have for anything, let alone something Too that's going yeah, right. like to make me feel terrible. Right. So I will just watch another episode of Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you like think do you think that there's because I've been wondering if we're not headed for a like time when conservative like in the 80s you know conservative media was kind of a thing or like the reaganism was kind of a thing do you foresee that or like have you seen any trends towards that in like the screenplays are getting made or like 
just anywhere. Oh, like regressing a little bit in that sense. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think this moment that we're in, in terms of this like new satanic panic or like all of the shady shit that's been going on around credit card companies and banks and sex workers and the sort of like, you know, crush to, to make everything like, I don't know, more palatable for all audiences or like, I don't know. I notice this all the time on Twitter, like people being like, I had a hard time with this piece of media. So it's like inherently terrible to portray this subject because it was triggering to me, which I think is an interesting conversation to have. But I also don't think we can just like dismiss media wholesale because like it was upsetting to us, like, you know, a very specific person. And I don't mean in the sense of like, you know, Chappelle making the yeah, trans sure. jokes. Right, right. I mean, that's a different conversation. But like, you know, the shitty boyfriend in this thing reminds me of my former shitty boyfriend. So the whole thing is bad and we should right. cancel that. Like, that's a different, different line of thinking. But yeah, I mean, I think you'll get to see some of these like new conservative movies. Um, like what's Ben Shapiro doing? Like that whole <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, like the hero, hero yeah. in the school shooting movie. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a no thanks for me, folks. But yeah, I mean, the thing I always point to with this is like, you know, there are a bunch of those like inspirational Jesus-y movies that get made every year. And they seem like they fly under the radar. But then you look and you're like, oh, this movie cost $2 million and made $40 million. And I've never heard <laughs> right. of it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I'll We're be fucking curious. up. We're leaving money on the table. right <laughs> yeah. now. You know, yeah. we could write the fuck out of a Jesus movie that'd be like, this is one of the best ones I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know how to keep it holy. You know, I speak the language. I, I was indoctrinated for K through 12. So yeah, I'll stay in bounds. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I feel like, you know, this sort of like, like all the parents who were outraged about Disney putting like, you know, sort of content warnings on some of the more problematic older movies and stuff. Right. I don't know, like, I, you know, at what point do those folks totally give up on, like, traditional media and start doing their own thing because it's too biased or too woke or whatever? But, you yeah. know, I don't know. I don't see those Disney adults giving it up. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. So it's religion. It's religion. Yeah. I mean, my my thing is that the way that they've taken, like, the legitimate complaints of, you know, people of color or, you know, people who are poor and people who like don't have enough money to have health care in America. Like the way they've taken those is they've like made it into like conversations about like warnings on Disney movies. And I think by doing right. that, they are making like that those initial legitimate complaints seem ridiculous. And so that's what that's where my area of concern is is that that becomes the mainstream like thought people have when they hear woke or they hear like anything coming from the left is like oh you just like are worried about like content warnings or whatever and i think right. they're kind of succeeding in doing that and i'm a little worried about that yeah i don't know too i think we've had we have a real problem in american media right now in terms of how we're exploring class like i don't know like my favorite movie is pretty in pink right nobody's idea of like a great cinematic masterpiece but you think about like that movie at its core is about class and about rich boy poor girl and how that affects their relationship and yeah. like growing up in the 90s we had things like you know like roseanne or like a different world that we're sort of like delving into class and how it affects people's lives and we're living in this incredible moment where like 
a lot of folks are getting wise to the fact that the system is and has been screwing us for many, many years. And you would think that we'd be seeing more media sort of address those big class divides. And I think something like Squid Game shows that people have a real appetite for it. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. Yeah, yeah but you're like, why aren't we making more of this? Like, where is the sort of like today's Roseanne? Because like, I, you know, look, I, I think that as many like terrible conservative people as there are in the world, I think about like, my dad's family, who's like, you know, a bunch of Kentucky coal miners, but have voted Democrat every election, like have always leaned liberal. It's like, there's nothing that represents them. Like there's nothing that sort of speaks to being like, you know, lower middle class or working poor in America right now, when that's the reality for a lot of people. And there are ways to do that, that it's not like eating your vegetables and not just like social realism. I think that's like why Southside, is mm. a fucking it's like almost flawless in that these people have normal fucking jobs and it's very centered in the fact that it's not like hey we made it to hollywood and now we're famous so now we right. can just write from our experience now and leave all this other shit behind i think that's like one of the things i love about Southside is that it really you're like oh shit this feels very like working class and it's right. touching on like what the, what just the day-to-day would be although very heightened for comedic purposes but it's still centered in like that world rather than I think you look at most shows now, it's like people who live in impossible apartments with impossible incomes and there's no real talk about it because it's about the it's about the struggle with the characters and right. while also feeding people this idea. It's like, well, why aren't you rich like these yeah. people on the screen? It's the difference between like, yeah, they're, they're, most shows just take place in a world where money there there is no financial reality. So no. it, like it might as well like not have gravity. Like that's how like just off it is. It's just pervasive. Like Carrie lives in like an incredible apartment and or like, like any Amy Sherman Palladino shows. Yeah. Like, like her shows are like that too, where I'm yeah. like, I'm sorry, does she, where's the childcare for this woman's kids? If she's out doing open mics all the time, like but, where, where's that discussion? But the like shows like Atlanta and squid game, like, feel you know revolutionary just by being like no money's a thing people need it to survive and that is a central conflict of their lives yeah and i think that goes to say start empowering creators writers who like are coming drawing from that experience rather than like i feel like so many people now get in the habit of like okay well this is what's popping in the industry this is what i i'll try and do on spec or whatever rather than like creating more momentum to say like, hey, your story about being a fucking janitor or whatever, that's valid. And guess what? More people do what you do than are Kendall Roy. Right. So we all need escapism. Like, I'm not arguing that. Like, yeah, that's fine. All that stuff can remain. We just need more of the other side, more of the like counterweight. Because, yeah, I think a lot of people would appreciate like, more sitcoms, more movies that are like speaking to some actual real problem shit than like, you know, another yeah. another superhero origin story. And, you know, it may just be like sort of at this moment where they the they have people have to be aware of the level of class consciousness that's existing in the content because it tends to have a really potent effect on somebody watching like Squid Game. People went, damn, that's just wild. They got killed over red light, green light. And then by the third episode, people were like, comrade i am ready <laughs> to fucking bring the capitalist system down because yeah. you st- it connects these things in a very real way and i think and if i was some you know uh whatever if there if the illuminati exists type person uh the people who are like looking at what is happening in the world you'd be like yeah content like that actually has a lot of communicative power but 
yeah will yeah. will will we invest in that mm. i hope i hope we do because it's more squid games stuff. please yeah. we yeah. need it less squid game parties hosted by chrissy teigen just completely right. missing the point <laughs> like yeah <laughs> oh my god this is so fun <laughs> dying in this capitalist hellhole what a great yeah. time with my girls <laughs> let's play pogs for your organs <laughs> oh, my God. oh cool we'll have real poor people at my party though. yeah they're gonna and like they're legit poor people like it's crazy like they smell and everything it's like oh okay cool. okay it's been such a pleasure having you as always where can people find you and follow you yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at that Hagen girl, T-H-A-T-H-A-G-E-N-G-R-R-L. Um, you can find me related to Blacklist Happenings. I'm on a bunch of podcasts. Yeah, pop over on Twitter. That's probably where I'm most active still, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? You know, we, we've been talking about weed a lot this episode, mm-hmm. and there is a meme that's been going around that is, if you're ever sad, just remember the world is 4.5 billion years old, and you somehow managed to exist in the same time as the weed pen, which is so true. <laughs> it's a good... Re- imagine yeah. telling your 17-year-old self you would have just like a cool weed vape that you yeah, could smoke yeah. sure. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I have three pair... I have three outfits in my car to change in and out of to smoke on my way to my... <laughs> minimum wage right. job yeah. <laughs> miles where can people find you with the tweet you've been enjoying uh, you can find me on twitter and instagram at miles of gray and also catch the other show 420 day fiance speaking of weed where we talk about 90 day fiance that's sophia alexander and i some tweets that i like first one is from dana bad it's from dana donnelly's alt account yo you just doxed her bro no it's 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 on there in the I bio know. come on now come on now I mean, or maybe not. Maybe you didn't get it when it said bad Dana, Dana bad is mm. the handle for that. And damn, for an alt account already almost got 50K followers. Keep your eye on her. Speaking of weed, I'm getting an eye exam and I was like, I smoked weed before this. Will that affect my results? And the optometrist was like, why did you smoke weed before this? It's 12 p.m. <laughs> okay, I guess she's not about this life. <laughs> yeah, it feels right. And then another one from uh, Connor Wood at Fibula, F-I-B-U-L-A-A. Don't really drunk text, but I'll have two coffees on an empty stomach and send the most humiliating message of my life before 10 a.m. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Let's see. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien, a tweet I've been enjoying. Uh, Josh Gondelman tweeted, if Ebenezer Scrooge existed today, he'd have a wife half his age and spend Christmas on a private island and never even think about the Cratchit family. Plus, the ghosts would get doxxed by his Twitter fanboys. (laughs) Yeah, man. There's no way he would ever come into contact with the people who work for him. Like, get the Mm -mm. fuck out of here, Scrooge. No. Nah. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song do we think people might enjoy? This is a new band I just stumbled upon from, I believe, I want to say Germany. Let me just confirm that. Yep, Leipzig. They are called Muito Kabbalah Power Ensemble. And what they do is like a very interesting. They sound like if like kids in Europe only listen to like Morning Becomes Eclectic on KCRW mm. and then start a band because 
they're all like these German guys, but they're playing the fuck out of like Afrobeat, like funky sort of samba. Like their foundation is very much built in like world rhythm, like world music, very rhythmic music. So when I first heard this little opening, like plucked bass line, I was like, oh, this is fucking nasty. So this is a track called Mamari, M-A-M-A-R-I by the Muito Cabela Power Ensemble. And it's just just good instrumental music so you know take that into your weekend all right well we are going to link off to that in the put notes so go uh, check it out the daily zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcast or wherever you listen to your favorite shows that is going to do it for us this morning but we're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending and we will talk to y'all then bye bye